Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hey, good morning. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and welcome to today's edition of This Week in Business History for January 4th, 2022. I hope that you and your families have enjoyed a wonderful holiday season and that you're ready for a brand new year. So today we're talking trivia on this special crossover episode that's being published to both Supply Chain Now and This Week in Business History. So here's a little bit of trivia. Did you know that January 4th is recognized as National Trivia Day in the U.S.? I've been a long-time fan, big fan of trivia games. Be they board games, video games, or even bar games. Hey, you name it. And I'm not alone, as there are millions of trivia fans across the country, and even more, of course, globally. Hey, if you're a supply chain practitioner, you may be naturally inclined to enjoy trivia because supply chain management is all about data and the details, right? But if you look back in history, what are a few things that stoked our love of trivia over the years? In 1902, a book was published by Logan Pearsall Smith entitled Trivialities, Bits of Information of Little Consequence. By 1920, it had become pretty popular so much so that by 1933 a collector's edition was published in the 1940s a popular radio show was a trivia quiz show entitled take it or leave it now that show would later be renamed the 64 dollar question now in 1964 the massively popular television show jeopardy would first air the late great alex trebek would host a syndicated version starting in 1984 that would make the show the incredible success that viewers are familiar with today. Just a couple of years later, one of the largest trivia contests in the world would launch. The Great Midwest Trivia Contest, hosted by Lawrence University in Wisconsin, and that would begin in 1966. And it continues to this day. In fact, the 2022 version will kick off on Friday, January 28th, and will be live-streamed. But perhaps one of the biggest factors that helped fuel trivia frenzy was a board game that I bet most listeners have played at least once. Trivial Pursuit. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been a part of several Trivial Pursuit games that were hotly contested and fight-to-the-death matches. And today, I'm going to be offering up five things you didn't know about Trivial Pursuit. 
So buckle up and get ready as we all learn a few things we didn't know and have fun doing it. Hey, before we move forward, if I could ask for a simple favor. So whether you're listening to this episode on Supply Chain Now or on This Week in Business History, I sure would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the show and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from. Hey, thanks for your support. And let's dive right in. So up first on our list of five things you didn't know about Trivial Pursuit, let's talk about the beginning. Way back in December 1979, Scott Abbott and Chris Haney were drinking beers and playing Scrabble in Montreal in Quebec, Canada. Chris Haney had dropped out of high school at age 17, which he'd later say he regretted as he wished he had dropped out at age 12. He was working as a picture editor for the Montreal Gazette at the time. His friend Scott Abbott was also in the news business as he was working as a sports writer for the Canadian press. As they were playing the legendary game Scrabble, Chris Haney asked his friend if he thought that the two of them could come up with a game just as popular. Well, that question began a conversation and later a journey that would change the toy and gaming industry forever. As Haney and Abbott continued their theoretical discussions, the conversation's tenor changed when Chris Haney told his friend, if we come up with a game, it should be one focused on trivia. But neither one knew much about the toy industry. So they went fact-finding. Did you know that Haney and Abbott would pose as a journalistic duo writing a story and would attend a Montreal toy fair where they could conduct their due diligence a bit undercover? They interviewed attendees and experts extensively at the toy fair, accumulating a treasure trove of market research that Scott Haney would later deem was worth $10,000. The duo was on to something they thought, but they needed more elbow grease. So Chris Haney brought in his brother, John, and since you always need an attorney to get anything done, they also brought in John's lawyer friend, Ed Werner. Number two on our list, let's talk about the game that they came up with. So surely you've played Trivial Pursuit, right? If you have, then you'll recall the somewhat unique look and feel to the game. As players correctly answer trivia questions, they move around the board and collect these small multicolored plastic wedges that fit inside their playing piece. The original Trivial Pursuit, released in 1981, came with some 6,000 trivia questions that were split evenly into six categories. Geography, which was represented by blue coloring, entertainment, which was pink, history, which was one of our favorites, as you might imagine, and that was yellow, arts and literature, which was brown, but later purple, and I bet Kelly Barner was a big fan of that category, science and nature, which was green, and sports and leisure, which was orange. And do you remember that wheel design of the same game board? Well, Haney and Abbott would base that design on a ship's captain wheel with six spokes that all lead to the center of the wheel, AKA the winner's circle. Now, did you know that the team would bring in an 18-year-old Michael Worslin to create the design? Worslin was unemployed at the time and really took the gig because his unemployment insurance was about to run out. 
that would turn out pretty good for Michael Worslin as he was able to buy into five shares of that company at the true ground floor. Speaking of investment, Chris Haney, Scott Abbott, and their partners had to find a way to come up with a bunch of money to pay for the production of the initial game. The game boards, playing pieces, question cards, pie inserts, all weren't going to be cheap. The Trivial Pursuit team went to work, making pitch after pitch and twisting lots of arms, all which would eventually net them 32 investors and $40,000. They used that to make 1,100 games at a loss in 1981, but it gave them a physical representation of their game idea to sell to folks and to start building a fan following. Third on our list, just how did Trivial Pursuit explode on the market and especially far beyond the initial 1,100 games produced? So there in 1981, Trivial Pursuit and the company behind it had some fundamental challenges to solve. First, in the early 80s, video games were all the rage. Many retailers weren't really sure if a board game, especially one that targeted adults, would be a wise toy to stock their shelves with. Pricing was perhaps an even bigger problem because with limited funds, it cost Haney and Abbott 75 Canadian dollars to get their initial games made. Now retailers didn't want to pay more than $20 to buy the game wholesale, and then they were stuck with the unenviable task of trying to sell a board game to adults at about 40 Canadian bucks apiece. That math didn't look real good for the young team behind Trivial Pursuit. But nonetheless, they sold the games at a loss to give it a go. And fortunately for them and for the world, they did because the retailers began to come back to Haney and Abbott with repeat orders. It was a hit. The duo would use those repeat orders to help secure a loan for bigger orders of the game from their manufacturer, which would bring their costs down significantly. So in 1982, they'd make 20,000 games and just about sell every single one of them. But to go big, they were still missing something. In particular, they were still largely confined to the Canadian market. And of course, there was a massive market just south in the US. Haney and Abbott needed to find a new licensing and production partner. Just who would they turn to? Well, they went back to where it all started. Did you know that Abbott and Haney would reach out to the company behind Scrabble, a company called Selchow and Writer, to see if they'd be willing to partner up and tackle the U.S. market. Selchow and Ryder were experts in the board games industry and had been in business since 1867. Their hit products beyond Scrabble also included Parcheesi, Anagrams, and Giotto. Selchow and Ryder knew Trivial Pursuit was going to be a hit and they jumped at the opportunity. They agreed to license the game and take over manufacturing also helping Haney and Abbott to enter the U.S. market. You could say that that partnership, which was formed in 1983, well, it worked out pretty well because by the end of 1984, gross sales of Trivial Pursuit would reach over $500 million. 
So moving right along to number four on our list of five things you didn't know about Trivial Pursuit. All those special editions of the board game, as well as attempts at making it into a TV show. First, those endless special editions. Did you know that there have been at least 50 special editions of Trivial Pursuit produced? For example, there's the RPM edition that came out in 1985 that focused on music lovers. RPM as revolutions per minute, which of course is directly tied to the old vinyl records. The Vintage Years edition came out in 1989, which focused on the years of 1920 through 1950. One of the lesser known editions of Trivial Pursuit would be the World Cup edition, which was released in 1997, just before the 1998 World Cup that was held in France. Of course, you've got special editions for Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, you name it. Trivial Pursuit became so popular with so many folks that no less than seven different attempts were made at making a successful television show out of the game. The first attempt was made in 1986, where a pilot entitled Trivial Pursuit was produced but was never bought. Did you know that the most successful attempt was in Russia, where the show named Lucky Case, yes, based on Trivial Pursuit, well, it went on for 11 years between 1989 and 2000. As you might expect, Trivial Pursuit would also end up entering the video game industry as well. In fact, in recent years, you may have played a little game called Trivia Crack on your smartphone, which, yes, is a Trivial Pursuit spinoff. That all brings us to number five on our list of five things you didn't know about Trivial Pursuit. Whatever happened to Chris Haney and Scott Abbott, the original founders of the game? Well, after finding the right partners to take the game big, wildly successful, even legendary, as you might expect, Haney and Abbott, well, they did pretty good. But they had to dodge a couple of lawsuits along the way. Did you know that in 1984, in the midst of Trivial Pursuit's initial extraordinary rise to glory, Fred L. Worth would sue the company behind Trivial Pursuit that Chris Haney and Scott Abbott had formed, Horn Abbott Limited, as well as Selchow and Ryder for some $300 million. Worth was the author of a set of books called The Trivia Encyclopedia, and the lawsuit claimed that more than a quarter of the game's genus edition questions had been taken from his books. Haney and Abbott well, they acknowledged that Worth's books were amongst their sources, but they asserted that historical facts weren't protected by copyright. And the judge agreed. The case was dismissed. Now, Worth appealed, but the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit upheld the original court's ruling. Unfazed, Worth then attempted to get the U.S. Supreme Court to review his case in 1988 but the high court refused his request. Chris Haney, Scott Abbott, and their original partners would eventually sell Trivial Pursuit outright to the toy titan Hasbro in 2008 for the sum of $80 million. Now Abbott, he'd go on to enjoy a wide range of ventures to this very day to include owning the North Bay Battalion hockey team 
which is part of the Ontario Hockey League. Sadly, Haney would pass away just a couple of years after they sold their iconic game. Following a long illness, Haney died in Toronto on May 31, 2010, at the age of 59 years young. By this time, Trivial Pursuit had sold some 100 million copies in 17 languages. And the game's success, well, it threw Haney and Abbott right into the limelight. Chris Haney would say in 1993, quote, It's like we became rock stars. People still shaking their boots when they meet us, end quote. Well, that's quite a story. I don't think I'll ever look at the game of Trivial Pursuit in the same way again. Lots of lessons learned, but perhaps chiefly amongst them, you never know the heights you can go when you choose the right partner. Well, that just about does it for this week's special episode of This Week in Business History. I hope you've enjoyed today's show that focused on the entrepreneurial story behind one of the most iconic games easily of the last 50 years, Trivial Pursuit, the game that certainly keeps on giving. Hey, for folks listening to this crossover episode on Supply Chain Now, hey, be sure to check out This Week in Business History wherever you listen to your podcast. Starting in January 2022, Kelly Barner and I drop a new episode every Tuesday, focusing on the intersection of business and history, and especially stories that aren't told ever, hardly ever enough. Now, with that said, we wish you a wonderful week ahead. Hey, this is Scott Luton urging you to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.